Hello, shalom, salam, and hola. Welcome to the Hot Jewish Podcast. I'm Michael, aka Hot Jewish Energy. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Hot Jewish Energy and at Hot Jewish Podcast. Today, weather sucks. You guys always get my, I'm gonna adjust my mic a little bit so that you can hear me better. I'm always telling you guys about the weather, which is really, really weird, but yeah, today's a really gloomy day in New York. Uh, I was gonna light a candle, but I was like scurrying. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if anything is pretty new. I was supposed to go to a friend's concert tonight. That didn't happen. She got the flu, so I'm not going, but I'm going for Mexican food tonight for Cinco de Mayo because today is May 4th. So tomorrow night, I'm not going out because it's Shabbat. So we're gonna do Cinco de Mayo tonight. So that's gonna be a lot of fun. Nothing else really, but we're gonna get right into it. We're gonna get Matthew on. We're gonna get them on. And yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun. And I'm really, really excited to have him on. You're watching the Hot Jewish Podcast with my guest, Math. with, I cannot speak, with my guest, Matthew Noriel. Hi everyone, welcome back. I'm here with Matthew Noriel. You guys might know Mar- Matthew as the Empress Mizrahi on Instagram. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. I think this is the question that probably a lot of people have for you. So where did the name Empress Mizrahi come from? Um, when I first started to, when I first rediscovered drag, I felt like my name was the Empress first, and it was based on a couple of things. Firstly, I felt like it was kind of like cocky, like, well, what's, what ranks higher than a queen and Empress? But it it was deeper than that. It was also like, I, I felt like so ashamed of my gender identity and my gender, what I wished could be my gender expression that now once I, I grew into it and I became okay with it, it was like taking back power. Like people might look down on me for doing drag or for being gender diverse or for my gender expression, but I'm above it, I'm an empress. And thirdly, it was inspired by um, Shah Banu, uh, Empress Farah Pahlavi. And just, Mm -hmm. it wasn't like a political statement in any way. It was just when I would see footage of her, pictures of her uh, from the 60s and 70s, she was just like the epitome of 70s glamor and I wanted to be that glamorous. And then I added the Mizrahi and because I I wanted my drag name to be very indicate like my identity uh, as a Mizrahi Jew. Mm-hmm. I don't even, now that I even think of it, are there a lot of Jews in drag? Because I haven't really seen that. I mean, yeah, I'm in Tel Aviv right now. There's a bunch of them here. <laughs> I know in Israel, but I don't know about in the States. I haven't seen a lot of Jewish drag stars that have actually like become big, like known across the country. I mean, there's some on RuPaul's drag. I mean, Jinx Monsoon, who won like one of the seasons on Drag Race and just won like all stars. She's Jewish, but I don't think she's like talks about her Jewish identity very much. And there's like Ms. Cracker and there's then there's like Lady Synagogue. There's a few drag queens. I, I don't think there's many. Um, Mizrahi or Sephardic drag. I was gonna say, yeah. It's weird because in New York, I rarely see any queer Persian people. It's really? very weird. I rarely see it. I feel like I'm the. I feel like I'm the only one. I can't really. It's hard. It's like finding a needle in a haystack. There's a couple. I mean, I have a friend who's a a, a gay man who who lives in New York. I do also know that the work that's been done in Los Angeles, specifically by my friend Arya Marvaze when he was with JQ International, and the work that JQ International continues to do with the Persian, with their Persian pride work, 
has had a profound effect on the Jew Jewish-Iranian community in terms of acceptance for LGBTQ plus people in Los Angeles. Unfortunately, that we don't have a counterpart in New York. Mm. Um, and I know that the New York Jewish community is even more insulated, from what I understand, than the LA community, and even more conservative. I'm not talking politically, yeah. I'm just talking in terms of... Observance, um, family yeah. stuff, yeah. I, exactly. I definitely see that because the biggest community here is in Great Neck, and Great Neck is very, very, like, every, I mean, this is no disrespect to anyone that li lives in Great Neck. I just, from personal experience and from talking with my mom about it, everybody's in your business. There's nothing that's private. Anything about you that's not in line with the status quo, it's out in, it's out in the open for everyone to see, and then everyone kind of they kind of ostracize you a little bit, which is really sad. That's how, I mean, that's how I felt in yeshiva culture too. It's just very mm -hmm. weird. So you're not originally from LA? No, born and raised in London until okay. I was 14. And, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, then in LA. You have, no, you have no accent. You know, it's really funny. I've had an accent and then it comes and goes depending on who I'm around. But when I have the accent, everyone's like, you were 14, why do you still have an accent? And when I don't have the accent, people are like, you don't have an accent. Why do you not have an accent? So I feel like I can never win. And I, I used to be a lot more, um, I went through a period of time where I was a lot more deliberate about it. I was like, okay, well, you need to stick to one and you can't have this like transatlantic slash California London thing going on. And then... And then I was like, well, fuck it. Like, why I can be, I'm fluid with everything else in my life. Why can't my accent be fluid? Yeah. Now that you're mentioning it, I can, I can hear little bits of it. It's like, it's very, it's something that's very unique about you. Well, the, you. Yeah. In the, in a good way. I, I love it. It's very, it's very Empress energy. Um, <laughs> hot Empress energy. That's, <laughs> uh, so originally from London, what was it like growing up in London? What was life like at home? What was, what was it like with your parents when they, they both came from Iran, right? Yeah, so they, they got married and emigrated to the UK with my dad's family. My mom's family all stayed in Iran. What was it like? I mean, I, I didn't have the happiest childhood just because I was very effeminate and I was very queer from a very young age. And I didn't, I grew up constantly wondering what was wrong with me. Like, like I didn't even know what queer was or what gay was or any of these things were, yet I was being called names, you know, derogatory mm -hmm. terms for those people from a very young age. And you know, American school kids can be really cool, but British school kids are even crueler. I went to an Orthodox school as well, an Orthodox Jewish school. Mm. So I didn't have, I didn't feel like I had any support from my peers, certainly as kids, and I didn't have any support from my school, and I didn't have any support from my parents. Not through any fault of my parents, they just didn't know. Like you know, they didn't know mm -hmm. any better. So I didn't have what I would consider the best childhood. I don't have a lot of like fond memories of my childhood. Um, and that I'm not saying that to like garner sympathy or anything. I mean, I'm actually- No, you're, it's, it's, what, it's what made you who you are. Exactly, yeah. That's yeah. what I was getting at. Like it made me who I am and I love who I am today. So, but I, I, st I talk about it because it's, I think important for people for a number of reasons to know about. Um, first of all, I, w I grew up in the 80s and 90s. It was such a different time, but we didn't have the things that we have access to now. We didn't have the understanding, the language, the 
We didn't have anything that we have now. So that's important to point out. But it's also important to point out, regardless of the time in which these things happened, I think it's really important to talk about my story because I want to I want people who come from similar backgrounds to mine to not feel like they're alone. Like we're just talking about the Jewish Iranian community in Great Neck. There are probably kids, I know for a fact that there are actually kids within that community who are closeted and who are probably feeling the same things that I felt. I felt very alone and I don't want them to feel alone. I can definitely vouch for that. It's weird because when you're in an Orthodox setting, you kind of just have to understand that, yeah, that's um, that's the situation. It's It's tough and... I just wish that there was more acceptance, but it, but you know, hopefully I mean, we that's can. Why, that's why people like you and I need to be vocal about our stance yeah. and who we are and our experiences. And it's not about bashing Orthodox communities or Jewish yeah. Iranian communities. It's not about that at all. What it's about is um, just create creating a space for people that do that are queer within those spaces to not feel alone and hopefully gain so much exposure to the point that there's some kind of acceptance within those spaces because nobody should have to feel like they're you know there's something wrong with them or that they're alone or that they have to hide who they are with everything that's happened to you up until now what was that moment for you where you kind of put everything aside and you just said, if I'm not myself, I can't, I can't live anymore. Like, I, obviously not in the sense of, like, I'll, like, not in, like, a dark sense of, but in of, like, I won't be happy if I don't be myself. It's, it's such a complicated question for me to answer because I feel like I always, on the one hand, like, we can hold tr- two truths, right? We hear that a lot these days. You can yeah. hold two truths. There were, there was a duality to me because growing up as a teenager and in my 20s, and I, I was pretty adamant about being true to who I was, but yet I still wasn't being fully true to who I was. I, I hope that makes sense. So it wasn't until my mid-30s that I was like, you know, and I was like, you know what, I, I'm, ti- I'm tired of trying to appease everybody. You know, I'm t- tired of like compartmentalizing parts of my identity. I'm tired of only expressing my queerness when I'm around queer people and then expressing my, you know, trying to fit in with my Persian Jewish family when I'm around them and trying to just be all these things all the time at, at different times. It was exhausting. and. Uh, that was when I was like, you know what, I like my femininity, I like being in touch with my femininity, I like being in drag, and all of these things came into play, and I, and I just felt like, if I'm, this is my life, as far as we know, we only get one, maybe we get more than one, I don't know. What I do know is, right now, this is the life that I have, and I'm gonna live it to, to my standards, and I'm gonna live it the way I want to live it, and I'm gonna be as, fully authentic to myself as I can be and if people like it great and if they don't that's fine they don't have to but just stay out of my way and so that's that's kind of that's kind of uh the journey that I, I've been on since uh my mid late 30s I think wow that's that was a while it took you a, it took you a while to within the last 10 15 years really uh within the last less than 10 years Less than ten years. Yeah, definitely less than ten years. I think. I mean, it was like yeah. it was like a it was like a progression. It didn't mm-hmm. start that way. Like drag. Okay, so let me back up. I started doing drag when I was like fifteen years old, right? Oh wow. Yeah, 
And that was the 90s and it was a very different time and I did it for like six months and I was sneaking off to clubs and it made my mother insane. It made my mother's Iranian Jewish family insane and that, so I stopped doing it because I thought, well, this is something I, I that's like I have control over I and I knew I didn't have control over my sexuality but this drag thing, I was like, okay, just don't do it anymore. And I kind of put it away and it stayed, like, stayed deep in the back of my mind. And it didn't come up again until I was like 36 years old. So we're talking like 20 years, right? Mm-hmm. And what had happened was at the time I was like trying to work in acting and I was like involved in stand-up comedy in, in LA and a friend of mine was like, let's, uh, me and some comedian friends wrote a skit. It was called The Real Housewives of the Shahs of Sunset where we were playing Persian housewives. The premise being how come the Real Housewives don't have any, of Beverly Hills don't have any Persians on them because like out of some like 30% of the population there is Persian. So we did it and it was like super lowbrow. It wasn't cute. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't glamorous. But <laughs> I, was, I don't even think I shaved. But like through that, like then it was like, let's do this other skit and let's write this other thing. And oh, do you want to do it at a live stand-up show? And gra- each time I was getting like more and more into it and more and more glamorous. But I, but I think um, the safety of being like, I'm a comedian and an actor playing a character really allowed me the space to do that. But then it got to the point after a couple of years where I was like, bro, like you're enjoying this a little bit too much, you know? And uh, that's when I just kind of fully decided, well, okay, just embrace it. Just Mm -hmm. embrace it. And you know, that's also the beauty of aging as well is that you kind of have less tolerance for for bullshit and you have less of a, um, you care less about what people think. Um, Mm -hmm. So that played a part in it as well. And then, you know. Your Your priorities change too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, listen, you're absolutely right. I'm I'm a single person. I'm live like I pay my own taxes. I pay my rent. I I I. Why should I live my life like? Why should I do anything other than how I want to do it or do what I want to do? I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not doing anything harmful. And I really, through drag, really learned to love my femininity and love and embrace myself and all elements of myself. I wish a lot of people in the community, I wish they had that mentality because I'm sh- I'm sure you've seen it. You even mentioned it, that there's this constant thing of whether you have to be masculine, you have to be femme, you have to be dom, you have to be sub. Like, there's no in-between. It's people want to shove you in a box, even within the gay community. It's... It's like we we didn't want to be shoved in a box outside of the community, and then when we got into the community, everybody's like, "Oh, are you a bottom? Are you a top?" Yeah. Like I'm just like, why can't I just live as a person and enjoy what I want to enjoy at whatever time I want to enjoy it? Yeah, I mean, it's, there's, you know, I feel like you can never be masculine enough for the people that are it's for the gays yeah. that are into the masculine people, and you can never be feminine enough for the ones that are into femmes, and it's just really aggravating and annoying. But there's something very liberating about saying, yeah. "I don't care." There's just that that was very liberating to me, and it's not that I, I gen- like, of course, I want to be with like, come on, I really want to be with someone, I want to be in a relationship, but when I do it. It's going to be on my terms, and it's certainly not going to be according to these binaries that have been put forth for us, and certainly not binaries that are being uh, replicated within the gay community. I mean, we don't fit into those things. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. I I always say I'm not masculine enough for the twinks, and I'm not I'm not <laughs> I'm I'm not um I'm not feminine enough for the tops. <laughs> it's it, I just. I, I have a really interesting experience on all these dating apps and it's just very, very weird. But now kind of segueing. I can totally relate to that by the way, so please don't feel alone in that. Okay. I, I was kinda hesitant for a second. I was like, wait, is this gonna sound weird? Is this gonna sound bad? And then I was like, you know what? It's how I feel. I'm not hurting anyone by it. But thank you. I kinda wanna segue a little bit we talked a lot about queerness which i which we're going to talk about more into the episode but what got you started into the iranian activism spec sector and the jewish activism sector listen i've always been an outspoken person and and um Mm -hmm. i think that when did you start being vocal about it on social media so my instagram page was mostly like drag stuff and, but mm-hmm. I would like talk about, occasionally talk about Jewish issues or I'd occasionally talk about things that were happening in Iran. And that just gradually took over because I felt a sense of urgency to talk about these things, particularly revolving in terms of Judaism. There's so much there. Like there's the internal stuff that needs to be talked about, which I, I really, like if you're not Jewish, don't comment on it. Like, because it's none of your business. Those are like intracommunal conversations that need to be had like the uh homophobia or transphobia that i experienced within the jewish communities within um, that's such a broad term but within certain people within the jewish mm-hmm. community and then um, my experiences growing up as iranian and jewish and jewish and queer naturally seeped into the things that i would post and then the more i posted about it the more there was pushback especially when it comes to israel issues so i I realized that it's something that needs to be talked about. And then May 2021 happened, which you're going to hear from so many content creators who are Jewish. Like May 2021 happened and we we saw blatantly what is happening and what our silence is, it, it what, what it's costing us. There was certain perspectives being put out that didn't represent my perspective. And that was, you know, I think the first thing I posted was I'm a Zionist and I believe that what's happening happening in Sheikh Jarrah is wrong. I do believe that. You know, I, I don't care what the what what the you know reasons, rhymes, reasons, illegal, not illegal, you know, permits, not permits to build. I don't believe in evicting people, not on that level. That's my personal belief. I'm allowed yeah. to have that belief. It got so much flack from both Jewish activists and from anti-Israel activists, which was really baffling to me. I, I thought I was putting forth a message of of um, nuance and understanding. Yeah, you know? that you're seeing it from both sides. Well, yeah, I mean, not everything's black and white, nor should it be. And I, I have a real problem with, uh, and it's getting worse and worse every year. I have a real problem with, with these like ide- ideological boxes that we're all putting ourselves in. If you're conservative, then you have to believe A, B, C, and D. And if you're a liberal, you have to believe, uh, you know, a, B, C, and D, and uh, there's no, you can't like sway from away from any of it. And if you if you're a Zionist, this is what you have to believe, and if you're an anti-Zionist, this is what you have to believe. I have a real problem with it, especially when it comes to Israel, because there, despite what people like to to, to push, there is a lot of new um, nuance to these issues, and we should be allowed to have varying opinions within them. 
with with within these communities. So that's when I started really talking about Israel more and more and and anti-Semitism more and more because I felt like it was urgent. Now, in the last eight months, what's happened? And I've always would post about Iran as well when there would be yeah. you know um, protests happening, like in 2019 and. But what happened is eight months ago, Masa Amini was murdered by, uh, or Gina, actually, Gina Amini, which is her Kurdish uh, name, her actual name, um, was murdered by the um, morality police in Tehran for improperly wearing her hijab, as we know, and this created a massive outcry from the people of Iran. And from the world, too. That's, I, that I had never seen that much coverage of Iran up until that point. Yeah, but it still wasn't enough, and it's not enough, unfortunately. Um, it did make some headlines, and I think that you're in tune with what's happening on social media, which is probably why you saw it. But there, there's not enough mainstream media talking about it, and I know, I know that because people still just every time I talk about, like, if like, I'm brought to talk about it, people are like, I've not just. You know, just last week was speaking at Tel Aviv Institute's conference here in Tel Aviv about Iran alongside uh, Emily Sh uh, Schrader, who's doing wonderful work. Literally, I think everybody at that conference afterwards was like, oh my God, I didn't know that, or I didn't know it was this bad, or I didn't know, you know, it was, this is what's happening, and oh, I heard about it before, but I didn't know it was still going on. Like, people just don't know, and I blame the mainstream media for that. Once that started happening again, it was a sense of urgency and I feel a sense of responsibility towards the people of Iran and more specifically towards the LGBTQ plus community of Iran because they're suffering the most. Yep. Point blank. I don't know about half the people that are in trouble if it weren't for your posts. I'm being honest. Mm. When you post, I you give it you give it clear cut, which I really love. You you give the right amount of information, which it's weird to say that because there never really is the right amount of information. You, We should be talking about it a lot more, but I I wish that more people knew, like you're saying. It's, it's unfortunate. It's with a lot of things that are happening across the world. Like a lot of people, I feel like we're hearing more about Ukraine than we already run when they were both equally important issues. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's reasons for that. I, which I don't know if I should get into because it's all speculatory, but I mean, first you can. Of all, whatever you want to get into. Yeah. The Iranians aren't white. I think that's a part of it. Uh huh. I'm just going to say it, you know? Um, well, actually, it's interesting because here in the States, people consider Iranians white. Legally. Legally, yeah. in North African people are considered white, but realistically we're not i mean when i walk in when i live my everyday life I, i'm i'm not viewed at, as a white person um which just especially goes, since we're both jewish jewish people that was the whole start of the holocaust we weren't white enough yeah i mean there's yeah. very good reasons why there's reasons why we're considered white and then these are legal precedents that were set like a hundred years ago because uh -huh. you couldn't become a U.S. citizen unless you were white, and not only white, but a very specific kind of white. Like Polish people could, had, couldn't, and Irish people were not considered good enough to become U.S. citizens. And what happened was you started having these immigrants going to court, and I, don't, I think it was an Armenian or a Syrian, I think Armenian, who went to court and fought for, to be considered white legally. I believe there was also a Japanese person or uh, 
who went to court to fight to say, well, I'm lighter, my skin is paler than yours, so what's considered white? So these racial constructs change over time. So I, I think that that plays a part in it. I think that it's Iranian people aren't white. We don't function as white. We are looked at as brown people. We're looked at as Middle Easterners, whereas uh, people in Ukraine are white. I mean, they're very yeah. white as far as how they appear. So I think that that might play a part in it. I also think that our media in the U.S. I think takes its cues from the political entities that they support. So Fox News takes its cues from the Republican Party and CNN and everybody else take their cues from what is now the Biden administration, the, the Democrats. And for whatever reason, the Biden administration is not taking as strong a stance as they should be with Iran. And mm -hmm. from what we understand, it's because, you know, we hear that uh, Biden is still hopeful that there will be some kind of a deal, a nuclear deal made. And I think that that's why a lot of we just don't hear a lot about this as much as we should. I don't think Biden's doing enough, not only for Iranian people, I don't think he's doing enough for Jewish people, if I'm being honest. Mm, no. I really, I, period, and I'm a Democrat. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not anymore. I'm an independent. You're preaching to the choir when you're talking about both sides, like you're, you're preaching to me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm, my family is mainly conservative, and a lot of what I say they don't get. Like mm -hmm. when I'm talking about LGBT rights, trans rights, and everything, some they just don't get it. And when I when I talk with them about certain issues, I can understand where they're coming from because there's a lot of reasoning behind not main not a lot of the social issues, but a lot of like the government issues, the financial issues. Like when they explain it to me, I'm just like, okay, I get where you're coming from. It makes sense, but it kind of what you're saying kind of goes back into that mold of why do we have to be put in categorical boxes? We shouldn't be. And just to yeah. be clear, after, and I voted for Biden, but after Biden and seeing his, specifically seeing how he, uh, um, his, his reaction and inaction to Iran is when I now registered as independent. I'm no longer registered as Democrat wow. because, and a big part of it is exactly what you just said. Like, I'm not interested in all of these bin political binaries. I think that we should be really focused in on specific issues. And I'm sorry, but what's happening in Iran, it should be a nonpartisan issue. Any human rights issue should be a nonpartisan issue. And to the conservatives that are continuously saying, well, I'm only fiscally conservative, um, you know, I have gay friends and queer friends and I love queer people and I love gay people. I hear that all the time. It's yeah. just about other issues. Well, this is your time to shine, honey boo boo. Like, yeah. speak up. We need you to speak up. And I think that that's a big problem we also suffer from, if I can just say this, especially in the U.S., but I mean, across the board in the U.K. as well and probably in the rest of Europe. Like, we think that it's our job to continuously attack the, the people on the other side of the political aisle. And I'm here to say they're on the other side of the political aisle for a reason. And yes, we should be holding them accountable, but who we should really be holding accountable is who we voted for, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're a Republican, for example, and you're again saying you love queer people, you're just fiscally conservative, well, it's your job to speak to the people that you voted for. Just like it's my job to criticize Joe Biden, who I voted for. And 
I, I don't like this idea that our politicians are holier than, than thou and that they can never do any wrong. Like there are things that Donald Trump has done that are indefensible and yet people sit there and defend it just because he's Donald Trump. Like, mm -hmm. I, and the same goes for Joe Biden. And I have a real problem with that. Yep. I haven't heard someone talk about that in a long time. It's really hard finding people who who have that same mindset. Sometimes I feel like I'm alone when I'm talking about situations like that or when I do, people are so quick. Like I've had, when I've talked about things from an independent perspective and I'm seeing both sides of it, I've had conservatives come into my DMs saying, how can you say this, yada, 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 especially when it was in regards to gun control. Mm. The amount, I got into an argument with, I think like one or two people. I was like, why do we need military style weapons in the household? I understand like a handgun, especially for Jewish people. I'm supportive of that, of being able to defend yourself. I know a lot of people aren't, but it's why do you need that that powerful of weapons? It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. I mean, if you want to get into gun control, you can talk about gun control. I grew up, again, in, in the UK where, I mean, at a certain point, police didn't even have guns, and I, I believe they do now. But... I personally don't understand this whole idea of legalized guns. I don't get it, but mm -hmm. that's me personally. Yeah. I understand that a lot of people believe that they should have the right to protect themselves with a handgun or with a, with a gun, and I can accept that. What I can't accept is what you just talked about. Like, why do we need to have military weapons? Yeah. Why is it okay? And furthermore, why is it so easy for somebody to purchase one in certain states that baffles me that there is to me in my mind there is absolutely zero justification for not having common sense laws in place for guns no that yeah and like you were saying everything is so it needs to be nuanced everybody yeah. is just black and white cut and dry we either have it all or we don't have it same with israel too same with how a lot of the Arab nations and Palestine, how they're all, the mentality is like, oh, we, we either want all or nothing. That's why so many of the partition deals didn't go through because they were like, no, even if I'm getting 50%, I still want everything. It's, I mean, it just says a lot that Jews are willing, the Jewish people were willing to share and then all the other nations were like, nah, we want everything, but. Yeah, well, that's colonialism, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> Arab colonialism, that's something that I started learning about. Yeah, I, I listen, you, you want to know what's colonialism? Like, what the languages that you hear the most in places where those languages don't like originate from, that's because of colonialism. Arabs came to the Levant through a very, very brutal colonialist, imperialist uh, um, uh, force, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, listen, it's it's not just Jews. We're not the only minority that have been um, sort of pushed aside because of the Arab conquest, which happened in the 7th century, right? Mm -hmm. there's, there's Kurds, there's Coptic, Coptic Christians, um, Armenians. There are so many ethnic groups. And, and Iran is interesting as well because Iran maintained the they may, we maintained our language, but there's definitely the Arabic influence on the language. Um, but the religion, right? The religion came in. Islam was the religion of the Arab conquest. So these are two things that people need to look at is language and religion. Why do so many countries speak Spanish? Well, because of colonialism. 
these aren't like nobody debates these things but for some reason when it comes to israel and uh pan-arabism it becomes a debate which i don't understand why and on top of that nobody's saying arabs need to go anywhere nobody's saying palestinians should be wiped off everybody's like okay let them you know and i'm not trying to justify things that maybe israel has done that they shouldn't have done right that's a whole mm -hmm. other conversation i'm not willing to have that conversation until we're dealing with the truth and the truth has to be talked about well, until we acknowledge the truth i'm not going to talk about what israel should have or could have done better or should be doing better i'll have that conversation internally but no like we need to deal with the truth and this um this global scale of gaslighting of israeli people and of israel and of jewish people it doesn't fly with me so mm -hmm. call it what it is it's colonialism, it's pan-Arabism, and that's fine. If that's what you want, then we know where we stand. It's funny that you mentioned that with colonialism, when they, when that certain group invades, they implement their language into the area. There's only one, the only country that has ever spoken Hebrew is Israel as a national language. How many, how many countries are there with Arabic as the, as the national language? That's it's a lot. And the, yeah. but, people don't know that those aren't like the Arabic isn't the native language to North Africa, yeah. right? It's and, and Islam isn't the native religion. The people that were there prior to that conquest were the Amazigs and Jews, mind you. Yeah, I'm going off on tangents. I'm also hot because somebody left like this nasty comment on my Instagram today, and I'm just like fuming because of it. Do so, you want to talk about okay. it? No, it's fine. <laughs> I was I, a white girl from like Finland or something <laughs> telling me that I'm like a, a apologizing for apartheid and colonialism and that it doesn't make sense because I'm trying to stand up for LGBT rights and I'm just like this is so typical this is like so like who's the colonialist here like I don't fit into the box of what you consider to be uh okay for a jew or okay for a queer person so you're leaving a nasty comment tell me who's the colonialist right i'm never gonna fit into that those boxes so hey comments it's it's tough sometimes some of them you can get past i'm sure some of them you've just like oh we're gonna delete that or oh, we're gonna ignore it but some of them just kind of they hit you they hit you hard or they just they're so stupid that you have to like reply to them otherwise they just don't reply I mean, Sometimes. when you reply and they reply back, it gives you more engagement. They're actually benefiting your page. <laughs> this is true. So keep it coming. <laughs> yeah, thank you, haters. Thank you for giving me your engagement. So I'm going to ask you an interesting question. Now we're going to get into like, what if situations, which I think is, I think we need that. I think we need some hopefulness. Do you believe that the Iranian government, the radical government will finally be overthrown? Yes. And if you, yes. yes, and if and when, let's say when, when it does get overthrown, what type of government do you hope to see? Do you hope to see a re-emergence of the monarchy? Do you want a, a democracy or a mix of both? What do you hope to see? I'm a democracy. I think mm -hmm. it's time that the people of Iran, you know, get to vote who they're for who their leader are. They haven't had that in a very long time. And that I mean that's what the Crown Prince Reza Pahlavi is working towards and and what he wants as well. So I don't have a problem with the Pahlavi family. I mean, I have a problem with some of the stuff obviously that was done that was not so kosher. 
back in the day, but and people accuse me of being a monarchist, but I, it's not that I'm a monarch. Whether I'm a monarchist or not is irrelevant. I'm not an Iranian citizen. I've never lived in Iran. My parents are Iranian. I, I was not born in Iran. So it's really not my place to say. It's up to the people of Iran to decide who they want. And what is my hope? My hope would be that it's it's a democracy and that they get to choose the leader that they want. So yeah, and, and, and as far as if it will happen, I do believe that it will happen. I don't know when. I think it's more a question of when it will happen. Um, but what I, I do believe is that that government is not, the, the way the government is running and seeing the amount of pushback they're getting from the people, it's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. it's getting to a breaking point, especially with social media now, because everything is so, I mean, I know you were talking about how the media is kind of censoring it, but this has, like I said before, this has been the most coverage. I mean, that's saying a lot. This has been the most coverage it's ever gotten in a very long time. Yeah. And is. a lot of, and Americans, it's a blessing and a curse. Americans love a wounded bird, which is yeah. really, which they're not. The, the people are fighting, but they're like, oh, who can we save now? And then they see Iran having issues, which they've been having issues for decades. And then they're like, oh, we're going to help them now. It's like it's like what happened in Ukraine. They saw Ukraine getting attacked, and then they were like, oh, who are, who are we going to save now? It's like that savior mentality didn't work in the Holocaust because most of us were killed already, and they came in thinking that they were going to be the heroes, but they weren't. And it's that's kind of like the the curse part of it, if if what I'm saying makes sense. Yeah, no, it does make sense. And, and I don't know, they always have to have some kind of angle <laughs> it can be because it's like the right thing to do. Like it's always some angle and that that's what's aggravating. But Yeah. You know, all we can do is keep doing what we're doing and there's like a, a, a lot of people who've really dedicated a lot of their time and their lives to um to pushing forward what's happening with Iran and making sure that it stays on people's minds. So yeah. And you're one of those people, so thank you. I I try to do my part, but I look at your posts and I look at your account and I think to myself, I don't know if I could ever do as much as you're doing because you really, you dedicate so much time and you're, you're like the forefront. I, I'm like thinking, how could I ever do this much? If that Thank you. Yeah. Well, for, I do want to say, I like, I wish I had more time to dedicate to it. I haven't created as many posts as I used to just because I work full time. Mm -hmm. I have speaking engagements. Uh, you know, I'm traveling right now. Um, but there are definitely accounts that do that. I mean, a friend of mine, Montra Tavakoli, I mean, she's posting s several times a day. Elika Laban, um, Iran, Iranian Diaspora Collective, like there's a lot of incredible accounts. It's not just it's not just me. It's certainly uh, far from it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but thank you. I really do appreciate that. And um, I, I always say like it's not I don't deserve any of any kind of recognition for that. Who deserves it is the people of Iran who are continuing to fight so hard. I'm just following their cues. And uh, all of us, you're, am are, you're amplifying them here in the states, which is needed. You're yeah, and that's all they've been asking for. Yeah, that's literally all they're asking for. So it's the least we can do. And I, I create the posts that I create in hopes that they're easy to digest, easy to understand, and 
and easy to take in the information because it can be very confusing and very complicated and so that people don't have to then go and create you can like share it um yeah. and not just my posts anybody's posts about it i mean that that's the goal um because again that's all they've been asking for literally hashtag be my voice hashtag be our voice they want us to just expose what's happening it's the least we can do i totally agree it really it's the bare minimum it really is aside from now i want to transition into to kind of wrap everything up the work that you do offline because in reality the work that you do offline it's if anything at the very least it's just as important if not more important and you're doing a lot of work online uh, offline offline (laughs) well both i i think i don't like i don't i try not to i mean it's not always possible i try not to like draw a line between the advocacy i do online or the work i do Mm -hmm. offline it's all tied into each other each element benefits so Mm -hmm. you know it's a benefit to the other um but as far as what i do offline well first i'm exact um executive director community engagement i'm definitely not the executive (laughs) (laughs) i'm a community engagement director for an organization called jimena which is an acronym for jews indigenous to the middle east and north africa and we work to achieve recognition of the history and heritage of uh, middle eastern and north african jews and specifically the almost one million refugees from arab arab lands and iran um, who have been both literally and figuratively forced to leave and many of which have left everything behind. So that's the work I do, uh, you know, that's my nine to five, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, I do speaking, you know, I get brought in to do speaking engagements for various whatever. Yes. Like I just did the conference here in Tel Aviv. I do a lot of speaking engagements for um, high school and middle school uh, kids, BBYO, I've done a whole bunch of times. They're incredible young people. Um, who attend BBYO conference. Um, and anybody who'll take me who's willing to listen to my perspective and some article writing here and there. And you got you got a tra- Trailblazer Award, if I'm not mistaken. I did. <laughs> what, when was that? That was in 2021. An organization that I've worked very closely with over the years has been JQ International. It's Jewish mm-hmm. Queer International. And they have a uh, award, award ceremony every year and um they they have three people that are honored each year three different awards and in 2021 i received the trailblazer award which is literally one of the biggest honors of my life like i i couldn't so far so So far far. so So far far. because we're bigger and bigger absolutely but you know those things as, as lovely as they are it's nice to have that kind of recognition but at the end of the day it doesn't it's not everything. It's not everything. Like, it's super rewarding, but you know what's really rewarding, Michael? Like, when a, a teenager DMs me from Iran asking me how to do makeup, or when um, a, a, a Jewish kid DMs me and says, I can't come out, but you, you know, you, you, you being who you are helps me want to be who I am. Like, those things are, feel yeah. really rewarding. The award was lovely. I got to wear a really like stunning couture that I had made, and just look fabulous and receive an award, and like shed a fake tear or two, and (laughs) shed a fake tear or two. Those were those were real tears. Some of it, some of it. 
<laughs> you see, you clocked me. I always try to be a badass, and it's not. They were totally. It, I totally know, did make me misty eyed. <laughs> when you know I what? It's badass if you show if you if you really take it in, and yes. I hope you did, and it looks like you did. No, I did. It was joking aside. It was a very, very, uh, I would definitely one of the uh, greater honors or moments in my life. And it's nice that you had that moment to shine so that other people like yourself who are younger can see, wow, this person is up there getting a really great honor, being recognized. Maybe I could be that person one day, which. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it's all about, right? It's all about making sure that you're setting an example for people like yourself so that they can. And I think you're doing a great job of that. Thank you, Michael. Yeah. You know I have a hot Jewish t-shirt. Hot you Jew. D- you do? Oh, yeah. wait, I remember you messaged me about it a while ago. I don't know if, I didn't know if you bought it. You have it? I have it. I wore it to the, actually to JQ's annual Guilty oh. Pleasures Hanukkah party. I looked really cute. Which one did you get? Black, and I think it says hot Jew in purple. Yeah. Oh, I, I love that. I have but, so yay. many shirts from, like, friends that have come out with merch lines. Like, uh, that's, like, I always feel like it's such a great way to support people. So I was like, I'll buy a T-shirt. And now I have 10 tons of T-shirts. Half Will of there my- be Empress Mizrahi merch? <sighs> you know, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Everybody who I've spoken to who's come out with these merch lines, I'm like, how much have you actually moved? And they're like, well, it's not about that. You know, they make them as you order them with these companies and this and that. And I'm like, well, no, I do want to come out with a a line or a collection, but I don't want it to be revolving around me. I want it to be revolving. Like, I want to do a really cool line of like non-binary, like products. Like it'll be shoes which I've been warned not to do because it's super expensive to get made and like t-shirts, nail polishes, uh, maybe lip gloss, like stuff like that. That's all genderless or yeah, I, I, that's my dream to do one day. I just need to get on it. I believe in you. That sounds cool. That I, I think it would, I mean, I want some Empress Mizrahi stuff on it though. I, I think that would be fun. I have to really think. I have that the the like the products. I know what I want the products to be, but I don't know what I would would want to call the collection. Is the Empress Mizrahi uh, like it's feminine, which is great. But if I really want it to be non-binary, so it would have to appeal to people who don't um, mm-hmm. identify as feminine, maybe or maybe I'm overthinking it. I don't know, but we'll see. It's going to happen eventually. If anyone who wants to financially back such a thing, such a project, is listening to this, hit me up. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of which, where can everyone find you? At Matthew Nuriel uh, on Instagram and on Twitter, which I barely use, and Facebook, which I never use. Just hit me up on Instagram, Matthew okay. Nuriel. Yeah. Right. And if and if you guys are also searching, you can find Matthew also Empress Mizrahi anywhere. Like if they Google that, they'll find you probably too, right? Yeah, probably. Okay. I've switched everything back to just Matthew Nuriel because I, I no longer wish to draw a distinction between my quote drag character and just who I am. So, I love that. Alrighty, that is it for this episode of the Hot Jewish Podcast. Thank you so much, Matthew, for being on here all the way from Israel. It really means a lot, and thank you for sharing your insight and 
everything that you have to offer, which is in, invaluable information and invaluable time. And you're, I hope that everyone can really take what you're saying and apply it to themselves, especially people who are struggling, because I think what you said can really, I'm, I'm just going to mention two quotes. I, I, I want to mention these two quotes. It's from an op-ed Matthew did on Hey Alma. And one of the quotes, which I thought was very, very quotable, and I think everyone can uh, relate, relate to this in a way. Matthew popped out of the womb with a Barbie doll in one hand and a Gucci purse in the other. Yes. <laughs> Take what you will with that. And then a little bit more wholesome, a little bit more, well, not wholesome, a little bit it, the raw what truth. But than Barbie dolls and Gucci. What? What's more wholesome than Barbie dolls and Gucci? You know what? <laughs> that was the wholesome one. This is more of the, um, if we're going to take something away from this whole episode, please don't hide yourself for two decades. I think that, if anything, at the very least, just make sure that you're happy. Yeah. Happy and healthy. And just remember that one one thing I always say is, especially when I'm speaking to, to young people, is no matter how hard you try, you'll never be able to run away from who you are. Who you are is, is always going to catch up with you. So, Amen. Stop Amen. running. I love that. Yeah. I, I, I wish yeah. I had that when I was younger. It was it was tough. But it's, okay. it's never too late. It, and you're it, younger, thank God. I, I am, and I'm happy with where I am. There's way, very long ways to go, but um, you're very inspiring. That means the world to me. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So I already said this is it for the episode, but uh, you can find me at Hot Jewish Energy and Hot Jewish Podcast on most social media platforms, primarily Instagram and this has been the Hot Jewish Podcast and with Matthew Noriel. Thank you so much and have a great day, everybody. Bye. Bye.